Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and we're very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have another very interesting show. We are very pleased to have with us the author of this book, Patricia Aberdeen, Megatrends 2010. Patricia is known for the series of books called Megatrends, going back, at this point, a couple of decades with her husband, her former husband, John Nesbitt, and they have been trendsetters, really, in following and tracking what has been going on in our society, largely economically, and looking at the implications and the ramifications of what's happening next. For instance, from the industrial age to the information age, well, now there's another major quantum leap happening that Patricia has seen and has written about in this book. I'll tell you, it's a very fascinating book and it's something that is going to help bring us into the world that I feel that in our guts we all knew was possible. The subtitle I really want to make note of is The Rise of Conscious Capitalism. You've probably heard phrases like compassionate capitalism or com capitalism with a heart. Well, here we begin to see that not only is it nice to have such things, but it's also economically advantageous. So uh, without further ado, I want to bring Patricia on so you can hear from the woman herself about this very juicy, very hot topic as we watch ourselves steer capitalism into a higher and nobler direction. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Mitchell. Great to have you. Um, thrilled to be here, and I want to acknowledge you for the wonderful work that you do and thank the you. wonderful show thank that you have. Oh, thank you very much. You know, there aren't that many places currently, and this is changing, and your book helps to signal that change, where we can speak very honestly and openly about the things that are very dear to our hearts, yeah. what our real humane values are, and not be in any way inhibited. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? It really is. It really is. So from that point of view, talking about being uninhibited, <laughs> tell us, if you would, uh, a little bit about what it is that informed your decision to write about this in the first place. What had you been observing, Patricia, um, about what's going on in society that well, you know, it's interesting. I think the book came out of my own personal um, spiritual journey to a very large extent. In 1994, John Nesbitt and I uh, went in separate directions, and I really started a new life. For two years, I didn't watch television or read the newspaper. I was just detoxing from all of that information mm. overload. And really, for the next at least seven years, I devoted most of my energies to my, to my spiritual journey. At a certain point, I really felt the need to uh, really bring together, to weave back together and to integrate what I had gone off and done on my own with my past life as a megatrans person. And I, and I thought, I thought perhaps I'll write something on leadership, perhaps I'll write something on business principles. And I actually wrote another book that never got published. Hmm. And then I was at a conference. Called what? Uh, or well, about it had what? so many different titles. I don't know. The last title. That's was, why it didn't get published. <laughs> that's, no, that I'm was kidding. that might have been part of it. But the last part, the last one was called "In Search of Corporate Soul," and it was a blessing that it never got published. Really? Because um, I was growing and developing, and it was would have been um, just not the best thing for me. 
I was really, uh, Spirit put me on a real long delay course, long, long delay course. And then I was at, um, I spoke about this stuff in Corporate Soul a lot. And I met a wonderful woman, Barbara Waugh from Hewlett Packard, who I talk about a lot mm -hmm. in chapter three of the book. And she said, you know what? All that stuff, do a Megatrends book. And put, I'll talk about all the spiritual stuff and spirituality and business from a Megatrends point of view. And I was like, no way, I'm not going to do that. I've, I've, I've written my Megatrends books. But the, I just her idea just wouldn't leave me alone. And then I received clear guidance from within to, to do that. So mm. that's what I did. So that's what so I did. So interesting. And yeah. yet you are wholly focused or largely focused on the subject of spiritualizing capitalism, spiritualizing big and small business. Without doubt. And the breakthrough for me came. I used to be, my heart was always with spirituality and business. And people I know were very interested in socially responsible investment and corporate social responsibility. And my attitude was, well, that's neat. That's cool. But I don't see how it relates. And then one day I was like, oh my God, there are two sides of the same coin. One is about restoring um, morals in an inward sense. And, the, and values, and the other one is about acting on your values and living through, living actively in the world through, through advocacy of corporate social responsibility and through the very, often very profitable route of socially responsible investing. Absolutely. I hope absolutely. we'll get to some examples on that because I was giving... Oh, definitely, this, please. <laughs> I was giving a talk on... Um, about my book the other day in a in Manhattan in um, a restaurant to some corporate people, and the, someone came over to me later and and they said the waiters want to know what that what was that socially responsible mutual fund you were talking about. <laughs> I thought this wow. is great. This, this is, is fabulous. Great. Everybody's listening, right? It's great. When Patricia talks, everyone <laughs> listens. <laughs> so, what That's was funny. the fund? We'll let everybody in on it. Well, there is a wonderful. Uh, fund called the Winslow Green Growth Fund. It's out of Boston. And I was talking about how, how 2003 was a wonderful year for stocks. The S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's largest 500 companies, which mm -hmm. is a benchmark against which performance is, is often measured, rose 28%. So that was great. And then there is this fund called the Vice Fund which is the antithesis of corporate social responsibility. They invest in all of the horrible things, in tobacco, in armaments, in alcohol, if you can believe that. But there is such a fund. <laughs> well, probably, for all I know. But, but they make it, they, they have this, this attitude. Anyway, they went up 33%, so vice paid, but not as well as virtue paid, because the Winslow Green Growth Fund, which invests only in green, clean, innovative, Largely technology, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. They also invest in Whole, Fo Whole Foods, for example, mm -hmm. grew ninety-one point seven percent in two thousand three. Then it took a little. When bit you say grow, that means they attracted that much more money. No, if in... you invested um, ten dollars in it. Oh, you're saying the return was ninety-one percent? Was ninety-one percent? It went up ninety-one percent in one year. Oh my word. It's outrageous. And that's Clean Green Technology, Winslow Green Growth Fund. And today... Why didn't you call me about this? <laughs> why didn't I call myself? <laughs> but that's today... Amazing. Yeah. Today, um, in the past year, of course, oil prices have gone up. But the um, Winslow Green Growth Fund has matched the performance. Last time I checked it, this always changes. Mm -hmm. About 10 days ago when I checked it, it, matched, it beat both Exxon and Chevron. 
So clean, green technology with the price of oil going sky high is, is taking off. And that reminds me of a basic principle that I talk about at the beginning of the book, which is that the reason we are standing on the threshold of social and economic transformation because we're at the crossroads of new values that have been coming up from the grassroots and economic necessity. And the economic necessity in free enterprise of the tech bubble, of the market crash, of the accounting scandals, has opened the door, and many more that I won't go on to say, <laughs> CEOs in jail, has opened the door to in, within mainstream capitalism for people to take a fresh look at socially responsible investing, at spirituality in business, at um, well, the, all of the shareholder resolutions, and and, and um, at the values-driven consumer. So in in Megatrends 2010, I took I I draw from all these different areas, seven different trends that together constitute the megatrend of conscious capitalism from values-driven consumers who want, who go shopping with their values and want the products that they buy to reflect their values, uh, the environment, for example, health, for example, safety, things like this, to uh, the social, socially responsible investing. And just to, just to finish up with that, and then, then we've kind of hit the main points of socially responsible investing. After the accounting scandals, uh, so the, the dollar amount in socially responsible mutual funds increased 7% in a, the two-year period, and the dollar amount in the rest of the fund universe, which is much larger, decreased 3%. So the corporate accounting scandal sent investors straight into the arms of the socially responsible funds. Very interesting, very interesting. This is a signal, folks, being broadcast around the world. Yes, it is. That doing good, you can do well. Very much so. That's like, that is a principle uh, is, at hand. That is a principle that um, informs all of Megatrends 2010. Yes, exactly. Now, it's always been my conviction, Patricia, and I knew it to be so. I know it to be so. And it's funny, even though I might be considered liberal or beyond somehow politically. I don't think so. I think I'm actually very conservative. Interesting. And conservative really is, to respect the word in the English language, means to conserve what is happening. I consider what's going on with the kind of the Republican Party, this notion of them being conservative is a radical mistake, if you will. Well, Why especially when you look doing... at the budget. I mean, if there's one thing a conservative exactly, the stands budget. for, it's balancing the budget. Exactly. And we have budget de deficits for all these extravagant, uh, horrible... Oh my God, they're bankrupting the United States government. But even even short of that, conserving, conserving natural resources. There you go. So to be conservative means not to exploit and drill in the Arctic refuge. It means to absolutely leave it pristinely and to find other ways actually to be involved in renewable resources is the proper conservative view. Well, it does. It sound that sounds outrageous, doesn't it? No, but that's I mean, the it true way. Logical. It's the actual real way of being conservative. And you know, investors aren't so dumb either. That's why this Winslow Green Growth Fund that I just talked about, that I said I was done talking about, <laughs> that's why they are doing so fantastically well. Yes. Because people realize that they've got to invest in these alternative energies. 
Exactly. Now, tell me if this equates with, I may believe it does, that with your understanding. I've always said that if business were to do things properly from an environmental point of view, having to do with energy efficiency, having to do with biodegradability, having to do with renewable resources, having to do with every and any aspect of production, so there is no waste, everything is recycled and recyclable. And if they were to go to the extent of setting up manufacturing and all other enterprises connected to it in that way, from that view, non-chemical, etc. So there's not outgassing and all of these problems that their employees would face in the manufacturing process, right. etc. It might cost more upfront, but over time it's amortized and they will end up being such winners in the long run because they won't be facing lawsuits like GE with PCBs in the Hudson River. They won't be facing major lawsuits and litigation, etc., that all these other large, large companies are facing because they keep despoiling the earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doesn't it make sense? It makes perfect sense. And in fact, some of it, some of those cost savings are realized more upfront. Um, uh, Chiquita Brands is an interesting company. They, they, their past life was as a very sort of horrible company called United Fruit. They did all kinds of bad things in Central so America. Oppression of the workers. All, all, they have all, just the worst reputation. Well, they ended up in did. bankruptcy. Oh. So, so that was good. And they emerged out Perfect. of bankruptcy. <laughs> exactly. They emerged out of bankruptcy with new leadership, with a new board. And at that point, they shifted completely to an environmental emphasis. Oh, they cut, cut billions of dollars out of their uh, agrochemical budget by mo moving to more natural methods and uh, put the company, started putting the company back on their, back on its economic feet. And they have won many, many awards from environmental companies. And in fact, they appear on- Or associations. Associations, like, yeah, right, exactly, right. precisely, thank you. They appear on a ver on a short list that I'd really like all the viewers to know about. Um, it comes out of um, it comes out of a woman near here, near New York. I think she lives on Long Island, called Rana Freed, and she has a comp she has a a dot com type of company called SustainableBusiness.com. Each year she comes out with a list of the top twenty sustainable businesses. This is not in the U.S. This is in the world, and as you know. Europe is way ahead of us, so there naturally there are lots yes. of non-U.S. companies. But Chiquita has made it, mm. has made the top 20. Uh, Whole Foods has made the top 20. Um, Timberland often makes the top 20 of companies whose whole culture um, involves sustainability. And these are companies that are quite viable financially. Mm. quite good investments all of them that is excellent what are other examples that you have seen I mean we know that currently the ratio is not a good one uh, there is this old paradigm we consider it old paradigm but it's business as usual right and cut corners do everything you can think not of the employee think not of the environment just make a quick buck because they're uh, driven by the quarterly statements to and, the shareholders. Right, and, and quickly, that brand of, con of capitalism, what I would call unconscious capitalism, yes. because it says profit first, last, and, and always. And in between. No matter what the cost is. As a matter of fact, we'd prefer to stay unconscious about what the yes. cost is. 
That brand of capitalism was summarized brilliantly by Milton Friedman in an article he wrote in 1970 called The Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Profits. By 2001-2002, we got to see what a distortion that puts profit as the center instead of as the metric that attempts to measure how how viable an mm. organization is by putting profit as the purpose. We watched the old-fashioned capitalism preside over the demise that says it's for the shareholder, over the demise of $7 trillion in shareholder wealth. And that, that was the crisis of capitalism in 2001 and 2002. Through what, I mean, what was the... The market crash vanished. Shareholder value completely vanished. And they're supposed to be on the side of the shareholders. Conscious capitalism sees business. Excellent point. Yeah. Conscious capitalism sees business as a whole, as a system. It says profit's important, definitely. Shareholders are important, definitely. But because business is a system, customers, duh, very important. They pay the bills. Customers, employees, suppliers, communities, the environment, and ultimately the earth itself are the stakeholders. They're part of it. You give, we're gonna, we the conscious capitalists, we're gonna make money too, but we're gonna do it by giving every, making sure everybody gets their due. And because we see business as a system, because we honor all of the components of business, the whole is gonna be healthier. The whole is gonna thrive, and it does. And I have a couple of great studies that, that show that. There's a global consulting firm called Towers Perrin, and they examined 25 companies that excel in relationships with stakeholders. These are um, not new age companies. I mean, they're, they're regular major American businesses, Procter & Gamble, Southwest mm. Airlines, Coca-Cola, believe it or not. And mm. these companies, over the course of a 15-year period, a long period of time, outperformed the S&P 500, the benchmark of, of, the, of the market, so to speak, by 126%. So this, the people who, who, again, it's a question of, of we believe amazing. in holistic health. Why wouldn't we believe in holistic business? You can't just Truly. start, start um, you know, doing bad things to your ear or doing bad things to your hand and expecting the whole to work. Of course. Of course. Of course. This is, mean, your, field. This is your field. Right. Well, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but those numbers, Patricia, yeah, are it's extraordinary. Important it down. It's important to pin it down. It's extraordinary. And to say that really the, the nickel and diming profit for the sake of profit, it's an illusion. If you're in touch with any spiritual principles, look, Spirituality either works or it doesn't. That's right. It's either true or not. <laughs> I mean, and it's like if, if, if the abundance that God wants us to have as individuals and even as companies is true, there's, there's a wholeness to it. There's a heartfeltness to it. And how could you, you, when you, when you nickel and dime, it's sort of like in, your, in all, of the, all of the books that you and I read about abundance. Exactly. If, you, if, you, if you want to have abundance, have an open heart. Be loving. Think exactly. positive thoughts. Why wouldn't it work for corporations? Be generous. Be generous. <laughs> Pay and you will be paid, you know, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. It, exactly. What you're also, I, I totally, of course, agree. You know, we're, 
sing to the choir here. Uh, it's that um, how do uh, companies like Enron get that message? You know, and here's this guy who is still out of jail, even though he has sunk the ship of literally thousands upon thousands of people and billions and billions of dollars. It's, it's just maddening. And I do see that Absolutely. as a paradigm that is falling apart. But a point that can be made, and I fully appreciate everything you're saying about sort of the heart and the spirituality of, of everything, and it's either real or it's not real, is that even if someone did not have the heart, if let's just say there was a businessman who had, a, let's say, a young soul, if you will, and uh, <laughs> you know, didn't quite get it, but just dollars you know, like that, that was the, uh, the holy grail. Um, looked purely from that economic advantage point of view of how to treat workers, of how to maintain their good health, of reducing absenteeism. Right. And I have developed wellness programs, yeah, by the way, yeah. corporate wellness great, programs great. that can, boy, just blossom in this new environment yeah, that you're yeah. painting in this book. Uh, uh, and protect and preserve um, product uh, material, raw material, and be conservative in the true sense, as we were talking about before, they would make so much more money. Absolutely. So even if they didn't have the heart behind it, just were mechanical about the economics of it. And that's one of the points that you're making in this book also. I love the way you've said that because a lot of times when I talk to people, they say, yeah, all this stuff, but can't companies just misuse spirituality and misuse corporate social responsibility and just do that stuff to make money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they could. Let them. Well, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, right. Let them. I don't know. It's kind of hard to manipulate God. You right, know? exactly. As they say, yeah. fake it. Uh, not that I haven't tried. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have, you know, <laughs> admittedly, right? As they say, fake it until you make it. Yeah. Let them go through the motions of doing things correctly, you know, and then, you know, something inside Gee, will catch up. I'm having fun, you know? too. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. This is a very different paradigm, you know? Exactly. There are examples of wonderful things. I mean, I remember 60 Minutes did a show some time ago about a company, I think it was in North Carolina, privately held, not public, and he wants to keep it that way. They have golf courses. They have daycare centers. They have whole families who are in, engaged, and, and they interviewed some of the workers. That's some kind of high-tech company. They said, uh, are you happy here? Gloriously happy. You know, and when do you get to see your children? All the time for every meal. Why? Well, the children are right here. There's a daycare center, there's a school, there's, and you know, there you, were the days of Pullman and Carnegie and all of that too, where there used to be towns, of course. Right. That, but right. if the goal is only profit, then, but if the goal is happiness, like what is that wonderful country, uh, is not uh, oh, Bhutan? Yeah, Bhutan? And again, 60 Minutes, I happen to like that one show oh, on commercial good. television. <laughs> they did a show on the happiness yeah. factor, the yeah. happiness quotient, and that was an integral part of what was going on in their society, that everyone had to be happy. Mm. That is great. That's so so great. one of the things that you're saying, if I can extrapolate uh, from many of the points you made in this book and are making right now, Patricia, is that payment comes on many levels. Oh, dollars is one payment and it's a good one and we like it money is good so I, I like it me too it's not about that it's about happiness is also good health and well-being is mm. also good having a good relationship between boss and worker is also good all these 
reduced absenteeism because people want to get out of bed and go to serve is also good. And that's what I feel you are helping to promote that idea. We do that on A Better World, yes. But you you are in such a position with your Megatrend series and so internationally known that for your voice to be coming out like this is just, it's beautiful. It's a real gift you're giving. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really feel that way. And I hope it's a gift to business as well because, you know, um, John Nesbitt and I talked about the Information Society a thousand years ago, yeah. or perhaps it was 20, 23 years <laughs> totally ago, right. more precisely. Yeah. But you know, when we talked about that in Megatrends, people you helped thought to that herald was, it in. Well, they thought that was really controversial. Information, how can you possibly make money on information? Well, today, uh, the information technology sector is worth a trillion dollars in the US alone, but I believe that the information economy is drawing to a close and that a fascinating new era is taking its place and that it has to do with the more spiritual side. In a technology-driven economy, you, you succeed when you innovate continuously. Uh, Medtronic, wonderful company, wonderful company, invent, invented pacemakers in 1957. For every product they've got on the market, they're working on four different upgrades for each one. So where are you going going to find this innovation in business? There's only one place. The short answer, the only answer, is through the genius of human consciousness. And I use consciousness in the spiritual sense Mm -hmm. to mean the capability, the capacity to be present, to be present. That engineering, to be alert, to be aware of your awareness. That engineering whiz who is working on a complex project or problem needs to have the kind of presence that you have to have in meditation. You have to just be there. Exactly. You have to be patient. And that is where the wealth, where the wealth is coming from. One engineer or a small team of engineers who can do that are going to create the next killer app that is to say the application that's so popular that it drives hardware sales. Sure. And that's why, and, and create instantly a $100 billion industry. Welcome to the new economy of consciousness. Hallelujah and amen. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. I mean, let's remember that Niels Bohr had a dream about, you know, that gave rise to the new physics. Yes. So basically, so yes. it's always in those quiet, still moments that the greatest creativity bursts forth, there or in dream. Right. Alpha, right. theta, that's exactly. the action, right? Exactly. So, Patricia, thanks so much for your book. My pleasure. And your true gift to Thank us all. Thank you so much. You're helping to rebirth a new economy and a new human being as a result. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I hope you got as stimulated by that as I did. I'm just thrilled with this kind of material seeping into the larger consciousness. Thanks again so much for joining us and I look forward to seeing you all next week.